0: okay is uh can you just say something
1: hi 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 jeff
0: okay bro um now i just want to check um can you hear this live
1: from Yep, i can hear that
0: all right brilliant okay then well going live in uh 10 seconds from now lovely I'll I'll do a five-second countdown. Thank you. Five, four, three, two, one.
2: Live from London, this is The Late Show with Noreen Khalid on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Good evening. The time is eight o'clock. The date is the 15th of December and we are live on Teachers Talk Radio. On tonight's show, we will be talking to Mercedes. She works as an assistant head teacher and is also the SENCO and DSL, so it will be a wide-ranging discussion. If you have any questions about any of the topics we will be discussing, please phone or text
2: live me. from London. This is The Late Show with Noreen Khalid on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com lsw ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio.
1: Good evening. Very warm welcome to you all. Uh, it's great to have you with me. This is your show, so please do join the discussion by either calling in or by using social media. If this is your first time tuning in, or you would just like to find out a bit more about us, then please head over to our website, www.ttradio.org. If you have ever thought about hosting a radio show of your own, but didn't know where to start, then our website has details about how to get in touch with us. The Team will be delighted to hear from you, and you may become our latest host with a show of your own. So, we on tonight's show, uh, we have Miss Said. So, I'm just waiting for Miss Said to call in. Um, as soon as she calls in, we'll connect her. And I think that's is that you, Miss Said? Hello, Noreen. Can you hear me? Good evening, I can hear you loud and clear. Thank Yay. you
3: so much. Yeah, <laughs> all just money when. You know yes <laughs> <laughs> I have to give you fifty out of I have to give you fifty out of ten for your gap filling skills. Thank you so much. <laughs> I was sweating buckets trying to get in. So technical bitch out the way. I'm in. <laughs> Lovely. Wonderful. Great to have you with with us. Thank you, um, Thank you for having me first of all. Thank you so so much for inviting me on.
1: Lovely. No, it's our pleasure, really. So um, for our listeners, just a little introduction about Ms. Age. Um, she is an assistant head teacher in a secondary school. Uh, she is also an English and BSHE teacher, and she is the RSE lead. And if that wasn't enough, she's also the SENCO and the DSL. So welcome to the show, all of you, and it's great to have you with us. Um, so let's start a question. Uh, start with a question about you first. So tell us a bit about yourself and how did you get into teaching, for example?
3: My word, how long do I have for this question? <laughs> um, I'll be very honest, Noreen. Um, I'm very fortunate that uh, my mum was actually a teacher. She was born and brought up in Pakistan and she was a teacher there. So when I was was born in England, but she always instilled a love of learning and education, myself and my siblings from day dot, if you will. So I I have vivid memories of myself as a toddler lining up my favorite teddies and dolls and sitting there and taking the register and pretending to read to them and what have you. So I've always, always wanted to be a teacher from the, you know, from the word go up or that's all I ever wanted to do. But as I grew up as a child in Birmingham in an inner city, quite a tough, you know, an urban secondary school, I'll be very honest with you that teachers who I loved inspired me to mm-hmm. become like them. But more than them, teachers who made my life hell actually inspired me more. And to this day, at the grand old age of 38, don't mind sharing that because I'm not that much of a dinosaur yet, <laughs> I swore to myself, my A-level mathematics teacher will obviously go unnamed, made me feel so bad. I remember the day almost to the date It was an autumn term in year 12, and she made me feel like the most stupid person ever born on the earth. And what was worse than that, Noreen, was she made me feel like I couldn't do anything to change that. And I swore to myself that day that I would become a teacher, and I would never, ever make any young person placed in my care feel the way she made me feel. And to this day, I swear by that, if I'm honest. So yeah, a bit of of everything, really. But that's what brought me to
1: teaching. That's that's really good. First, two questions. Where did your mum teach in Pakistan? Because as you know, our, our <laughs> I, I know I, I'm I'm from Pakistan as well. So
3: I, if anybody mentions yeah.
1: Pakistan, I sort of, you know, um, okay, get really okay.
3: Excited. You've heard me talk in a show in Urdu, right? So I'm gonna throw it back at you. Just hazard a guess first, and I'll tell you if you're right or not. Let's make it interesting. <laughs> what do you think?
1: Oh gosh, uh, I was 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 in Karachi? Was it?
3: No, yeah. <laughs> it was Isla- Islamabad, Islamabad, Islam- capital, oh, okay. capital, the capital, the capital, so there you go.
1: Well, that, as you know, um, strangely enough, that's one city I haven't visited.
3: <laughs> well, excuse now, you've got a connection with me as your guest, you need to make sure when you're able to travel, thank like yes. you COVID, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you make sure you go there. <laughs> oh,
1: yes, I, I will, that's, that's on my list now. Um, so right. that, that's um, really interesting what you said about um, really good teachers inspiring you, but also teachers who didn't make you feel that good, making you think to yourself, well, I'm going to be a teacher and I'm not going to do it the way she's done it or he's done it. Yeah. And, and my, my students
3: will have a much better experience than I ever did. Absolutely. No, don't get me wrong, Noreen. I was very fortunate. Growing up, the vast majority of my teachers, you know, moved me. They touched me on a personal level. That sounds wrong, but you know what I mean, emotionally speaking somebody yourself. <laughs> <DSL>. <laughs> um, but, you know, they really inspired me. But there was just that one. It was her. And yeah. I will never forget her for as long as I live. But that's why I swore to myself, you have good role models and bad role models. And arguably, both are equally useful. Because yeah. they're models of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So,
1: I suppose you need a bit of, of uh, inner strength as well, because sometimes if you have a bad role model, they can just you and you'll say, "I'll never step foot in a school again."
3: <laughs> yes, that is true as <laughs> well. So they they could be deterrents, but luckily for me, by my, my love for learning was instilled at a very very young age, so I wasn't getting put off by one callous math teacher. She wasn't going to put me off, and thankfully she didn't do so. So
1: here I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just had a message that as long as the bad role model uh, doesn't traumatize you. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Here, here to have said that. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've got Benjamin Barker who's joined us. Welcome, Benjamin. And Hi, uh, Benjamin. <laughs> right. So that, that was a bit about yourself and how you got into teaching. Wonderful. So uh, now that you, then you got into teaching and you started teaching, mm-hmm. what made you decide to go for the assistant head teacher role?
3: I will say this, Noreen, I have toyed around, not toyed around, that's the wrong term to use, I've changed, and I hate to use this archaic sort of term here, but my flight path changed Mm -hmm. a couple of times throughout the course of my career, because very early on, I thought, you know what, do you remember the good old days of when you used to have the advanced skills teacher, the AST, do you remember that, when you used to have that role? They're called lead practitioners now? Yeah. It was a time when I was like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to become an AST and I'm going to just be a really, really amazing English teacher and just take that route. But then the more I started working with lower ability students, I hate using that term, but students with special needs, et cetera, I thought to myself, actually, this isn't the route I want to take. I want to kind of help the underdog, if you will. I want to help more students on a, on a broader scale. Mm-hmm. I want to actually help other people help them as well. And because of that, I really became quite keen and developed my coaching skills My troubleshooting skills, I've worked in multiple schools that are special measures and I'm very pleased to say I'm proud to say I was part of teams that got them from special measures to good and I absolutely thrived in that. I don't know why, it could be crazy, but I loved the challenge of this department's falling to pieces, the outcomes are horrendous, do something. I love that challenge. I love being able to say, you know what, I slugged my guts out, but at the end of it, I made an impact. So the role of AHT for me was always strategic impact. That's what I've always wanted to do. And obviously, as a, you know, a head of department, for example, a, a director in some schools have that role as well. You can have impact, but the scale at AHT above is more, it's just, it's just broader, and that really, really appealed to me. That was the biggest thing that appealed to me, definitely, just helping more people on a grander scale. And helping more students and making an impact on a whole school level as well.
1: That's that's in, that's really interesting. That's um, you know, as you know, I'm a governor. And that's that's what interests Ooh. me that to work at the, at a strategic level and and bring about change at a strategic
3: level. Absolutely, absolutely. Because that's what really, you know, changes lives for the better if you do it properly. That's what it really does. Because you're you know you're shifting the culture. In an in an educational setting, you know what I mean. So for me, you're absolutely right. That's 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 it in a nutshell, really.
1: Yeah, lovely. And it's not to say that somebody who doesn't want to be doesn't have any impact. They all do. But for the of whole course. school, for the whole school to thrive, you need various people doing various, you know, various jobs, and all of them acting like cogs in the wheel to make the the school yes, move forward.
3: Absolutely. It's a collaborative approach. You know, no man's an island. You can't do it alone. We have to work in tandem and you know united especially with the status quo being as hideous as it is now even more so than ever that collaboration is absolutely key okay thank you for that so the next
1: question i'll ask you that is, <laughs> um, oh we've got another uh, comment um benjamin says agreed for me it was the way i realized the higher up i could work the more of an- Oh, I can't read the full one. It's, it says influence uh, yeah, I could yeah. have had
3: over a wider group of pupils, staff and That's parents. Awesome. Absolutely, Benjamin. Yeah. Fully agree with you there. Fully agree with you. Absolutely.
1: So, um what next? Any any thoughts about going for the head teacher's role?
3: Deputy <laughs> head <or> head. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I the deputy headship pastoral at this stage, definitely, but I don't want to run before I can walk. I've not been in AHT a full year yet, nor even mm-hmm. so. Um, I've had an extensive career, you know, uh, period of being a director, so I've had ample extended leadership experience under my belt. And I never want to jump into something head first, because I want to get to headship one day, but I actually want to stay in the post when I get there. Yeah. So yes. I don't want to rush it. I, it. It is something that I want to do, but it's a very much a long, long term goal for me definitely because i want to really make an impact at this level before then even starting to contemplate you know going on step tech i mean i've got npqsl successfully and i'm really proud that i've got that because that has given me a good idea of what to expect at the next level but i really want to like i've made a lot of impact as a director before i came to this stage i want to do the same thing again and then move on and do it oh, i was just the going reasons. to ask you whether
1: you've done any leadership training so
3: uh, you've said you've done yeah. the yeah so what was that like my word it was intense good god (laughs) it was absolutely fantastic but I won't lie I'm a bit of a self confessed and proud to be geek I love learning I've got ample as you've probably gathered from my bio uh, qualifications because I just love to learn and just help and coach in as many areas as I possibly can that actually Mm complement one another but the NPQSL really did instill sorry really consolidated for me that I do want to become You know, Mm -hmm. more than just an assistant head teacher further down the line, because you have to do a project as part of the um, qualification and actually learn on the course and implement it almost side by side in your place of work. So you see the impact and you actually have genuine impact as part of the qualification. So I actually ran some SEND projects through my NPQSL qualification, and it was actually linked to the off reports because that school was in special measures where I was when I did the NPQSL. So that was really, really rewarding. But I won't lie, it is challenging because you have to balance work life with the old school university life of reading, Harvard referencing, oh my God, you know, <laughs> assignments, etc. It's hard, it's hard, yeah. but it's definitely yeah. most rewarding. It's really rewarding. I would highly encourage anybody who's interested in becoming an SLT or you know climbing up the to definitely, definitely look into doing the qualification, absolutely.
1: There you go. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> you know, you've heard Missy uh, recommend that. that, that. Yes.
3: Um, yeah. So, um,
1: and, and like you say, if if you are learning, um, that again, that's that's role modeling, isn't it? That you are telling your students that it's life learning, isn't just passing your exams, getting your GCSEs, A levels for yes. the university, and, and that's it. It's lifelong learning, and you are doing hard work, but I'm doing something similar myself
3: absolutely the stresses of deadlines et etc and sending in drafts to your assessors so yeah absolutely yeah a living model <laughs> so um now that we're talking about uh, leadership roles um
1: and you've said that it's really you know you you do recommend people going for it if they want to what if somebody listening to us or you know uh, uh, when they listen back to this show um they want to they they've been thinking about toying with the idea of Going for an assistant head teacher's role, and they hear the show and they say, Well, here's somebody who I could ask. And they come to you, they tweet you or DM you, and they ask you for your advice. What would you say to them?
3: I really had to think long and hard about this question, if I'm honest, Doreen, because arguably it was one of the most challenging, which is really good for me because it makes me reflect upon, you know, remind myself why I went for the AHT post. And I think the key thing is really being certain why. You want to go for the A.H.T. post and Mm -hmm. I may say something contentious. I do apologize if I do, but I'm a very honest person. As You probably gathered by now. Mm -hmm. I know not a lot of people in fairness because I choose to distance myself from people like this. But I'm sure everybody out there knows at least one person like this. And they met one person like this in the entire teaching career. I want to be ahead in X number of years just because I want to become ahead in X number of years. Or I want to be a D.H.T. or an A.H.T. in five years. Mm -hmm. That's not the reason Mm -hmm. why you should do it that's not that's a very dangerous reason Fine. it needs to be for the right reasons why do you actually want to be an assistant head because i want to have as benjamin said i want to actually help more people on a wider scale and this role what it entails will allow me and empower me to do so being a deputy head on an even broader scale being a head teacher you start to network with other head teachers when you when you fix your own school up for example you can actually help other head teachers through coaching and partnerships and what have you that's the real that's a good reason to become an assistant head and something further than that. And the other thing you have to think about when you want to go for an assistant head teacher's role is this, you're an experienced governor, Noreen, I'm sure you'll agree with me here, it is arguably, out of all the SLT positions, the most competitive, but far and large, it's the most competitive one, because mm-hmm. ter- it's the first step into yes. that SLT area, isn't it? Before you then go for the headship and so on and so forth, executive head and what have you. It's also about knowing which assistant head role you want to go for. Do you want to go down the route of a pastoral assistant head teacher? Do you want to go down? Uh, I wouldn't because I'm terrified of the data. I mean, I like data, but I'm not a massive fan of it. Data mm. sort of assessment, raising standards, assistant head teacher. Do you want to go down the curriculum, teaching and learning, head? You know, assistant head teacher? Which way do you see yourself going? Really, again, I hate to use the term flight path, but really thinking ahead and making sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Because if you do it for the right reasons, even if you fail that first assistant head teacher interview or your second one or your third one or your fourth one, you won't give up. Because you're determined because you've got a set vision and you get fixated on it and you actually do what you need to do to get to it. But it has to be for the right intentions and for the right reasons. And, that's, and that's what I'd say.
1: I, I think that's, that's that's spot on and that's really good sterling advice. And especially what you said about um, what type of assistant head you want to be. This, you know, Like you said, if you don't like data, although you do have to handle data, yes. even <laughs> as a class teacher, you'll be handling data but do you you want to be the person who handles the data on the the school level if not then maybe Mm -hmm. it's not the assistant head for assessment isn't your role and and the same you know pastoral everybody all teachers everybody who's working in school is a pastoral lead in some way shape Mm -hmm. form but to lead the pastoral lead uh, across the whole school or across the mat etc if that's not for you then maybe look at other roles that's really good advice thank you thank you <laughs> um so oh we've got another caller who's joined us um don't know the name it's um the pb pbg8 whatever um <laughs> welcome uh, welcome <laughs> yeah welcome to join us and if you have any questions do do uh, type it in and uh, Ms. Said will well, I'm sure she'll be only too delighted to answer any questions that you have. <laughs>
3: I'll do my best. <laughs> um, right,
1: as um, just um, when I was introducing you, um, and I was telling our listeners that one of the things um, that, uh, one of the things you do is oh, um, our production team has just reminded me that when they have random numbers. Is, um, is somebody who's without a Podbean pod account. Yes, yeah, sorry, I should have, I, that completely missed my mind, right. <laughs> okay, to get back to the questions there. Um, uh, one of the things you do is teach PSHE. So yes, first, and the most basic question, what is the
3: importance of teaching PSHE? Now, again, contentious statement warning alert here. Um, I am by trade initially a, um, an English teacher, mm-hmm. but I will categorically say this, and I do this on a regular basis. When I teach PSHE lessons, I actually tell my students that arguably PSHE is more important than English. I know, Shakara, that I'm saying that, but I'll tell you for why I say that to my students. Life skills. Now, I'm not saying English isn't important, but English isn't going to teach me how to safeguard myself. English isn't going to teach me how to manage conflicts. It's yeah. not going to teach me how to form and nurture healthy relationships. It's not going to teach me how to have realistic and ambitious also career aspirations. That's where PSHE comes in. And it is so, so invaluable. And why I'm so blooming fortunate that in my academy, the head teachers actually made it a curriculum subject. Because I know some schools, I believe, still mm-hmm. have like, you know, extended form time sessions or what have you, or do something once a term or what have you. We actually have a dedicated timetable slot every student in our academy from year 7 to 13 has one lesson of PSHE a week and we're blessed to have that because it allows us to really really get to grips with what they truly need to know to become more you know responsible more you know respectful more knowledgeable and sensible and productive members of society and valuable members of society so for me that's what PSHE really is about. Okay. It's really important. Uh, yes. um,
1: um, we've we've got the um, somebody just said you know fine, that they agree hundred percent with you and yay and glad that finally somebody has has said it. So you're welcome. At least one person hasn't found it very contentious. <laughs> what? Well, so that's all right yeah. then. Uh, exactly. So. Um, Talking more about PSHE, what Mm -hmm. changes have you seen in in the PSHE over time and what do you think of of these changes?
3: Now, I'll be honest here with you, Irene. I haven't taught PSHE consistently over the course of my career. And because I'm a bit of an oldie, an oldie, if you will, <laughs> I've been teaching over 16 years. I've had the good old days of SMSC and all the other stuff in between. But I will say this, that even though I'm not fully best placed to give a fully accurate response, what I will say is the breadth and depth of the curriculum has most certainly increased and absolutely for the better. You know, it's akin to, you know, the keep sure safe and education guidance, right? Yeah. How that safeguarding guidance changes every year, because it is, in essence, and it should be responsive to, you know, the, the the contextual issues that are happening at the time in society and what have you. I feel the PSHE curriculum has changed in the same way. It's very responsive. It's it's, react, it's, it's responsive to what's happening around us. So it's more useful than it's ever been before. It's broader. It's, it's, it's more enriching for the students. So for me, it has changed, but for the better, most certainly, I feel anyway.
1: That's really, really interesting, and it's um it's lovely to have somebody who's so passionate about P PSH. <laughs> some some in you know, something they just have to do, and like you said, you know, it sort of floats around the curriculum, not having a a, a definite place anywhere, mm. not doesn't have a home
3: anywhere. That's why I said I'm so lucky and I touch wood I am that we've got curriculum time dedicated. I would advocate it anywhere that you need to give it that time and also give it to people who are, as you hit the nail on the head, Noreen here, give it to people who are committed to it because it's not for everybody. The same as, and we'll talk about it later, but RSE, it's not for everyone. And if it's not for you, you won't have that passion behind it. You won't have that commitment required to deliver it and to deliver it with justice. And it's so invaluable to the students. It needs to be delivered with that absolute 110% conviction for it to actually impact students in a positive way.
1: Exactly. I completely agree with you. And uh, Joseph, who's uh, behind the scenes and uh, producing the show, he's said that in, in, at his school, um, they treat PSHE as the most important subject. And rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully so. That's good. Right. Um. So uh, now, I believe you also teach RSE.
3: Is that right? The joys. I'm the lead for the school. Yes, very exciting.
1: Yes. <laughs> so, firstly, before we get into your lead role, what um, what, again the same sort of question: What is taught in RSE, and why is it important to teach RSE?
3: I think with RSE has arguably been the most interesting part of my job that my head teacher gave to me because so I was sort of like oh yay you're giving me relationships and sex education thanks <laughs> because I knew I know in a secondary school how how contentious was so I'll talk about it a bit shortly with the later questions but um it's it is it's a very misunderstood subject, Nodin, I will say this too, right? Okay. But some parents, I don't want to jump into other questions too soon, but that being Mm -hmm. said, some parents think oh my god, you're just teaching my child to want to go and have sex rampantly all over the place. And it's vulgar and it's really, really bad, but it's actually not. It's the complete and utter opposite and I do actually see why my head made me the RSA lead in light of the fact that I'm also the DSL because it Mm -hmm. does go beautifully hand in hand with safeguarding and if I may go into talking about how it's changed, if that's okay oh, with you, with regards yeah. to how it's has changed. When I was a little daughter many, many moons ago, I have a vivid, harrowing memory, you know, being 11 years of age, sat on a yeah. science stool, watching a grainy VHS of a lady having a baby. Yes. Uh, boy to my right vomiting, girl to my left about to pass out, yeah. somebody at the end crying, yeah. and I'm just sat there staring, mortified with more questions than before the video started, thinking, what the hell is this? Yeah. It was very clinical. It was yeah. very scientific. You know, yeah. that was it. And that's not beneficial to anybody. It was just, you know, this is how a baby's made. This is how it comes out the woman. Bush, bash, bosh, you're done. And yeah. that's not useful to anyone. Now it's so much more invaluable so much more invaluable, you know, you you cover um, emotions, you cover feelings, you know, is it okay to feel like this if I like somebody? You talk about consent. What is consent? What's something when it's non-consensual? You talk about relationships and not just sexual relationships, just healthy relationships in general. You talk about physical health, crucial personal hygiene and well-being. And what's beautiful about the RSC and HE curriculum now is the fact that you end ignorance and you challenge misconceptions. You know, yeah. I, I appreciate the fact that talking about, and I'm sorry if I'm being blunt here, but actually
4: I'm not being
3: genitals and what have you. Yeah. But with the grace to respect, if you've got a young girl or a young boy and something's wrong with them, personally yeah. speaking with their genitals, for example, that could be life threatening in a nutshell, yeah. right? I'm not being dramatic, it could be. So yeah. if they know, oh, this is a sign that something's wrong, I've got pain or this is happening or that's happening, they can actually be preemptive about it and they can prevent something escalating. So this is what we've tried to get across. And I'm, we're, it's still going to take some time because a lot of people, I'm not just talking about, I'll be blunt here, I'm, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. It's not just Muslim or Christian families. I've got some families who don't even believe in God who aren't yeah. fans of it, right? It's yeah. about, because they think it's immoral or it's vulgar or what have you, but it's about making them understand. And I always give this analogy to people, if I may, Noreen, that I'm yeah. th- I've done Thai boxing for three and a half years, right? Mm-hmm. Now, with God's grace, I've never had to use it. Fingers crossed touch would I never need to use the Thai boxing, I know. Yeah. But it's there to protect myself if I need to. I'm empowered. I've got that. RSE is exactly the same thing. If I teach your son or your daughter that this is an appropriate touching, or this is appropriate touching, this is a healthy relationship, this isn't a healthy relationship, they can then safeguard themselves. They can say, oh, hang on, that's not quite right. Unlike the way that person talked to me when I walked down the road, you touched me in a way that I'm not quite fond of. I'm going to go and get some advice from a trusted adult. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. how we need to make people understand yes. how, and what RSE is. It's about yeah. protecting them and empowering them. That's, that's, that's the key thing to get. Sorry, I'm very passionate about RSC. In particular, no, no, that's, but that's, that's true for because me um, it, it
1: does get a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say bad press, but there are a lot of... Uh, um, people do have the wrong ideas about what is what. And, you know, when you mentioned relationship, it, people just jump to the idea that it will be just illicit sexual relationships. But yes, it's not exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, Benjamin said that he's had flashbacks of the same video. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Benjamin, I do apologize. <laughs> and, and, and just says uh, that he thinks it sounds very traumatic. It was. Yes. I'm 30. I still remember it. I was 11 at the time. So there you go. The other, while you were talking, and the other thing I thought about um was that in our community there are um there will be some families who will. Who, because of the way the culture is, who will not talk to their daughters about personal hygiene, about what, why, why a girl is having periods, and you know what's happening in the body while while they're having periods, and and we know m- medically that it's a fact that uh, girls are ha- are starting menstruation at a at a younger age than they did. Yes, before. they are. Yes, um, they are. Exactly. So if, if 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 the mother or the older sister or the aunt or the grandmother isn't prepared to talk about it to the daughter, where is she going to get this information? And I'd rather she got it with you sitting in your class and you telling her about it than not having anything or getting completely the
3: wrong information about it. That's the biggest thing, Noreen, that you've hit the nail on the head there. It's about getting the right information in the right way. I'm very fortunate that my, I teach in a girls' school, as you know, I said before, you know, and the girls get on very well with me, touch wood. So mm. I'm quite open about it. And they know because I make a point, and I always encourage all teachers of RSC in schools, you need to create a comfortable, unintimidating environment where they don't feel scared to ask anything. Mm. And they don't. I've had girls say to me, I'm being very blunt here, in year 10, very, very able students, miss what's an erection. Hmm. And they're mm. not being silly. They're yeah. not dead serious straight face. They just genuinely want to know because they heard the word somewhere. Yeah. Because they just don't know what it is. I make, uh, as part of being, uh, welfare service also obviously comes under my remit. What I do is, you know, you've got the um, DFE give out free uh, sanitary products to schools. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so I make a point of giving out well-being gift bags to the students. So mm-hmm. like at the end of summer term, mm-hmm. we had like a nice little lovely gift bag. We had some sweets in there. We had some sanitary towels in there. A lovely little well-being activity book, et etc. et cetera. And I, I get the students to help me make the packs together, like make it like a nice little communal activity. And I had, and it will stay with me for the rest of my life, I guarantee you. Again, a very, very able student. You know, she's aiming for like grade eight and grade nine. Really lovely, lovely young lady. And she was helping. We had some uh, lighter flow pads for lighter blood flow and some pads that were for heavy blood flow. Mm. And she picked up one of the green ones and one of the purple ones and went, Miss, why the different colors? Uh And I just froze. And I thought, you're almost 16 years old. You've probably had a good few periods already and you don't know that. And for me, that was when I woke up and thought, my God, I cannot assume anything right now because yes. they just, she, I thinking to myself, you've got sisters and a mum at home, and I'm not criticizing them, don't get me wrong, but yes. nobody ever told you that. And again, right. I'm not criticizing them, but what you said before really stuck in my mind that, you know, if they're not being told at home, they need to know from somewhere that there's a difference because if you're a girl who's got a very heavy period wearing the wrong sanitary towel, you're going to know about it. It's going to cause you problems. Hideous problems. It's really, really important. So you're absolutely right, is the fact that we we need to be able to have those, address those elephants in the room with them so they know. Because if they know, again, they're better informed.
1: They're better informed. Exactly. It's all about giving them um, age-appropriate information which they need to keep themselves safe.
3: That's all it is. That's all it is. And listen, I'm always going to have parents... Who contend with me i know i'm always going to have that because some people are you know very set in their ways and i respect that i respect that yes. i must i'm of southeast asian descent myself. myself on pakistan as i said before i understand that but at the same time i will always can i will always politely and respectfully challenge <laughs> to these families yes. and say look you have to understand the intention behind this curriculum you have to understand mm-hmm. the purpose behind this curriculum if you won't talk about it at home and you won't let me talk about it in school that's wrong we're failing the, the child on so many levels it's insane it's just insane.
1: I think it's uh, sorry, Grand <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why um, I was wondering does 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 your cultural background um, help you connect with with families of your of the same cultural background a bit more? Do they see? Well, if Miss say the saying that my daughter does need to learn this. Maybe she is right because she, she understands what you know what what. Funnily might be- enough.
3: Funnily enough, au contraire, manami, mean, actually, it's actually the opposite. I have to actually err on the side of caution as a Muslim woman because uh-huh. I'm worried about being accused of shaming them into it. You know what I mean? So I'm super, super careful because right. the fact that, you know, you can't see me, obviously, but I wear a headscarf. I'm a practicing Muslim. Mm-hmm. I actually, and I'm Asian. I'm actually doubly careful about making sure I'm as objective as physically possible. I always veer clear. I've even had parents saying to me, well, you're Pakistani you know, in Pakistan, they don't teach this. I said, yes, but we're not in Pakistan. With the greatest (laughs) respect, we're in Birmingham in England. Do you know what I mean? So I actually go the opposite way and I veer away from conversations where they try to bring in, but you're a Muslim woman. And I'm like, yeah, and I had sex education growing up and I'm also in charge of it now. What's your point? So I actually go the opposite way because they try to use that to make me, to convince me (laughs) that they're right. So I veer away from it, if I'm honest. They just just need to
1: read the Quran with translation. There's a lot of ministration um things exactly
3: yes no I've said this to them I've only a couple of times I've had to do it when they really you know put my back up against the wall I said look if you read up sayings of the prophet Muhammad peace be upon him it actually says to teach your daughters about stuff like this and it mentions how to keep yourself clean and how you should bathe more when you're menstruating and stuff like that so but I try to veer away from it when I can because it can get pretty tricky if I go down that route (laughs) right right on that um
1: note i think we'll stop for a bit because we have to take a little uh, a break we're going to have the news and the ads um um and oh uh, joseph's just text, uh, texted that he says sadly people use religion to enforce things on others which is which
3: is sad oh my god yeah. i could talk about dude if i could shake this person's hand right now seriously because what frustrates me and i will say this is right they get bits of culture hmm. it's not just muslim people I'm talking about multiple different groups here. They get bits of culture, they get bits of faith, they amalgamate and go, there you go, this is faith. Yes. And it's not. It's not. And that's my, that's another show. That's a whole other show. (laughs) 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 So I agree with you there.
1: Really do. Lovely. Thank you. And um, we'll talk a bit more about this um, after we come back. So we're just going to stop here for a minute. Um, Don't go away. We'll have uh, an ad break uh, followed by the news and uh, some tech tips, top tech
5: tips. Super, Are you super. looking so I just mute to take your phonics practice yes. forward?
0: Oh, I'll just play that again.
5: Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications, and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winston'swish.org.
2: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
4: In Scotland, independent schools have been eligible for charity relief on non-domestic business rates. This will end on the 1st of April 2022. Scottish Greens MSP Ross Greer said most Scots are appalled when they discover that private schools use their charitable status to avoid paying tax. Ending this tax break is not only the right thing to do, it will also raise much needed additional funds for our public services. Private schools exist to protect the power and privilege of the wealthiest people in society. As long as they exist, they should be treated just like any other business And pay the appropriate amount of tax. According to a report in the Daily Record, Fetis College charges over £36,000 a year for boarding and Gordonston over £40,000 to board senior pupils. Despite the change being delayed due to Covid, the Scottish Government have confirmed the date of April 1st for its removal. Churchwood School in Wembray has been awarded an outstanding report from Ofsted. This preschool is different in that irrespective of the weather, the children are outside exploring the woods. Emma Draper launched the Forest School in kindergarten in 2017. She explained, We go outside whatever the weather and we splash in puddles when it rains. That's all they want to do. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, There's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. Churchwood Forest School scored an outstanding report in each category, including the quality of education, behaviour and attitudes, personal development and leadership and management. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio news with Gail Glay.
2: This is Two Minute Tech with
6: Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This week we're going to look at one of the simplest, freely available yet least used browser technologies, the View. Chrome vs Edge, let the battle commence! On screen one, I have Microsoft Edge weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. On screen two, I have Google Chrome also weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. Round one, opening Reader View. On the Edge browser, the Immersive Reader feature is built in and can be activated by a button on the address bar. By typing read followed by a colon in front of a URL and also you can simply press F9. Before you can open Reader View in Chrome, you have to install it as an extension it's free and not difficult once installed you'll find it in extensions located to the right of the address bar one point to immersive reader round two features both come out fighting with the read aloud feature that allows the user to adjust the read speed skip forward and back and change the voice that is reading they both also highlight the word being read chrome reader has a volume control which is a nice touch if not using headphones one to chrome reader round three readability a big feature for reader views is the ability to change the formatting to suit the user both allow easy changing of font size, font and text width on the screen, but they differ in background colour features. Here is where Immersive Reader offers quite a bit more. Chrome Reader offers 8 background contrast colours, 4 light and 4 dark. Immersive Reader provides 23 background options, green, pink, yellow and blue included, allowing pupils with visual needs to find a comfortable colour. One point, Immersive Reader, round four, editing. Chrome Reader features a design mode, This allows you to highlight text and make changes, quite useful if wanting to pick out key points to return to. Immersive Reader does not have this feature. One Point Chrome Reader, round five, extra features. Immersive Reader has a grammar feature, allowing words to be split into syllables. You can highlight nouns, verbs, adjectives, and adverbs by flicking switches. This feature is not offered on Chrome Reader. One Point Immersive Reader. Immersive Reader also offers reading preferences, featuring line focus of five, three, or one line, blocking out the rest of the page, There's a picture dictionary, allowing some words to change the pointer to a magic wand that reveals a picture depicting it. Also, there's a translation feature allowing partial or full translation of a page into 88 different languages at the click of a button. Chrome Reader does not offer these features. However, other free products, such as Google Translate, could be used. Immersive Reader takes the point because you don't need to leave the page. Final score! Winning with four points to two after a blistering final round is Microsoft Immersive Reader. But let's face it, most people don't know these things exist. If you were one of them, please do something about it. See if these features are installed in your school, and if not, request they are. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed.
2: Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back. That that was the news, um, the ad break, and... Um, uh, the tech um, tips by Steve Woods. Um, I really enjoyed these um, free tech um, tips which Steve um, very kindly uh, records for us. They're, they're wonderful. Um, so before the, um, uh, the break, I was chatting to Ms. Saeed. Uh, who's an assistant head teacher, um, as well as the SENCO and DSL. She teaches English, PSHE, and RSE, and we've been talking about all these roles which she has. Um, If you have any questions for Ms. Said please do uh, text in or call in, and um, she'll be happy to take any questions. Um, Joseph has just texted. He says, this school is exactly like my school. Which is good. Uh, I was just thinking, do I know a Joseph? I thought for a second, do I work with Joseph, but I don't. <laughs> Maybe he's he works as uh, in a disguise at your school.
3: Oh, okay.
1: Oh, well, he, <laughs> he, oh, he says.
3: School. <laughs> ah,
0: ah, right, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, my, sorry, i have unmuted myself. Yeah, my school is like uh, 100% outdoors. It's in London.
3: <laughs> oh, super. <laughs> that
0: yeah. Sounds lovely. Yeah, it's great. Wonderful.
1: Um, going back to parents and RSE, and you may have answered this a bit uh, earlier, but um, I was wondering, um, you know, not not your parents of your school, but just parents in general. Um, mm-hmm. I um, do you think schools have found it easy or hard to to get
3: parents on board with with teaching um RSE? I, th- I think that's a bit of a tricky question because, just in my humble opinion, it does depend on the catchment area, it depends on the setting of the school, it depends on the demographic. There's quite a lot of factors at play there, if I'm mm. honest, and it also depends on how the school actually launches. The RSC curriculum, obviously, you know, the DFE gave us guidance of, you know, you've got to have the consultation, you've got to share your policy, you've got to share the curriculum, you've got to give parents a chance to opine, you know, get them to come in and talk to you, you know, as much as you can within code restrictions, etc. It depends on that as well in terms of how well or badly, sadly, that was done by respective schools. Um, I just took... I. As I said, I've only recently become an assistant head, and I also recently became the RSA lead as a result. So I came in just when the consultation had to be relaunched with the parents. So I thought, like, yay, this is great. Someone got the short straw here. But <laughs> it was actually really, really useful because it gave me a chance to actually do it the way I wanted to do which is being really transparent mm-hmm. and saying, if you want to talk, stupidly say, here's my email address. <laughs> but, you know, open the floodgates, if you will. But I was quite lucky, actually. I didn't get that much pushback. Um, and as I said earlier to you, even prior to the break, that the pushback I've had was misconception. It was your teacher, and excuse my language, I'm going to quote a parent here because I think it's important, you're teaching my daughter to be a slag. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, actually, let's just stop you there for a second, sir, because mm-hmm. that's not what we're doing. And then a really, really long conversation ensued. In fairness, by the end of it, I had convinced him, you know, that to change his mindset. But I know I'm far from it being over because, as obviously, I know you know this within your governance role, the you, you can withdraw from the sex education Um, there's there's more mandatory at secondary basic is what I'm saying. It's obviously going to be more contentious because we cover a broader range of subjects and there's less you can opt out of. So we're automatically going to be facing more pushback because of that. Um, And if I'm honest, I don't think the battle's ever going to be over. I don't want to tempt fate. We have Mm -hmm. had that much pushback, but I know as we go down the year and cover more and more the curriculum, and I'm going to say it, The condom demonstrators are on order. They're coming soon. So I'm envisaging something (laughs) happening when they turn up. And what did you do today, sweetheart? Oh, we put a condom on a plastic willy, mom. You know, there's going to be something. You know, I'm prepared for that and that's fine. Um, But yeah, it's just, (laughs) we take it as it is. You know, all the day's work, if you will. I I, I wonder
1: whether in a couple of few years to come, it might get a bit easier because these children would have had something uh, taught to them at primary and
3: so, you're right you're absolutely yeah. right hope that's the plan <laughs> that's the whole yes, that's that's the plan. That's the plan. yes. <laughs> so hopefully some of the
1: conversations would have already happened and they would have realized that you know why why is it important <laughs> to teach this and and obviously it's going to be age appropriate and and they would have understood that you know because it's age-appropriate, as they start to go through school and go up uh, through upper school and upper years, there will be more stuff mm-hmm. taught to them. But again, I think you know you are only teaching them to be safe and and to have healthy yes.
3: relationships. Absolutely, and that's the key thing, just to get across that yes. For for a number of cultures, and not just as I said before, it's not just linked to just religion and you know, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, etc. A lot of people, like I said before, people are atheist, are like, it's immoral, it's wrong, and it's not your place to teach my child that. Mm -hmm. It's my place to teach my child about sex and this, that, the other. It's just about safeguarding. It all comes back to safeguarding and looking after their physical health and understanding, like like we said before, Noreen, it's just, it's more than just sex. There's yes. so much more to it than that. That's why I'm glad that they rebranded it as RSE and HE is relationship, sexual education, and health education. Mm-hmm. It's so much more, so much more, absolutely, so much more. So if somebody's listening in who's just started teaching
1: RSE and is expecting to have some delegation of parents come in, how would you, uh, what would you advise them to do? Or how, how would you advise them to, to get parents on board?
3: If they're new, then get back up. Don't do it on your own. That's the biggest thing. Don't ever do it on your own because it is. I mean, I'm an experienced person mm. and I think I'm fairly confident so I can handle it. But if you're yes. new to it, yes. it, it is something you would definitely not go in by yourself with because it could get messy quite quickly. You know, as a governor, it could be <laughs> you that could be writing to saying this school's immoral, etc., etc. Mm. Do your research That's the, for anything, anything you do, safeguarding, you know, send anything at all, Any DFE guidance out there, you know it inside out. Mm -hmm. You have to know your stuff inside out because that's the best way to address any misconceptions, knowledge. And I'm quite a geek. I I know it sounds really sad. I have a life, I swear to you, kind of. (laughs) I love reading DFE guidance and whatnot. I really, really do. I think it's just so fascinating, all these laws and everything. But it helps because then if they chuck questions at you, you know, spontaneously, you've got that knowledge to say, well, actually, madam, according to page 75 of this guidance, it says this. It's like I had a parent recently. Um, it was it mine, so it was a friend of mine who texted me and said, Oh my God, I've got this parent, and they're really upset that, you know, we're going to be covering sexting and stuff. And I was like, Have you told? I don't know if it was page, I could be wrong. Yes. If there's, 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 page 27 or 28, sexual violence, sexual harassment is named in the RSE guidance. I said, mm. Just give them that page. Tell yes. them, Look, I'm, doing, I'm, com- I'm being compliant. Yes. I'm not being immoral, I'm being compliant. Mm. It, it, sometimes you have to be that. That direct with it. Don't start to get all, you know, complicated. Don't overcomplicate. Just say, look, these are the facts. I'm yeah. doing my statutory duty. I'm fulfilling my statutory duty. Sorry, <laughs> it is what it is. And uh, again,
6: Keep uh, uh,
1: like I said earlier, at the end of the day, it's keeping your child safe. What if the child experiences yes. sexting and doesn't know what to yeah. do?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And this is why there's so many amazing, and this is why I've only, as you know, I'm quite, I'm still quite new to Twitter. I've only been on Twitter about four or five weeks, but I'm already in love with it because it's just, it's just like an ocean of knowledge out there and so many networks. And I like to think I'm a very knowledgeable DSL, but even I've learned about new organizations that I didn't know existed before. And I'm just like retweeting like my life depends. Going, yes, this is so amazing. Oh my god, I'm going to tell the girls about this and tell the girls about that. There's so much out there, but there's a reason so many organisations exist because it's a massive, massive problem, massive yeah. problem. Yeah. And it's 11 to 12 year olds. I think I was seeing today on the BBC. So many of them receiving, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say dick pics on random chatting mm. sites, you know, Discord or the gaming sites. It's just a, it's a minefield. And they need. To, and you're absolutely right, Noreen. They need to know what to do. Rather than just be upset and get stressed and impact negatively their mental health, they need to know what to do to stop it and get support and understand that it's not something to be ashamed of. You've done nothing wrong if someone sent you an illicit picture. Get help. Mm -hmm. Get help and protect yourself. Yeah, that's true. Um, Benjamin just
1: has to leave us now because he has to put his little child to bed. Oh, bless! Thank Thank you, you, Benjamin. Yeah, Yeah, thank you for joining us, there. Thank you. Um, Right. so uh, we've done um, RSE and, um, and that. Now mm-hmm. your other hat which you wear, which is the Senko hat. Oh, yes so you don't my, have... my first love <laughs> oh, okay right So why, why did you go for that? position and why did you uh, take that role what what did or what all
3: tra- of the all of the roles that I have Noreen send will always be the closest to my heart because when I was much younger than I am now <laughs> many moons ago send was something that always just just touched me in my heart it just it was just something that I felt so passionate and to put it quite succinctly if I may it was the underdog I yes. always saw the amount of time if I had a penny for every time I heard someone say oh god it would have done me down I've got them now I've got the bottom set now. I could probably buy a small island if I'd got a penny for every time I heard that in the earlier years of my career because it, it was heartbreaking. I thought, like, hang on a minute. If I get to, if I, say you and I have to go to, I don't know, the London Eye, right, for example, you might get there in an hour. I might get there in three hours. Yes. Yeah? We both get there, right? That's, That's how I see it. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there. We both have it in us to get there. It's just about getting the right guidance, getting the right direction, getting the right support to make that journey. But why shouldn't we both have the same destination? And that's how I view SEND, and I've always viewed SEND, that SEND is not synonymous with, you know, thick. SEND is not synonymous with, you know, inadequate. SEND isn't synonymous with, you know... Sub sub, sub sub second class citizen or whatever or subhuman, they deserve the same as everybody else. The first letter of send stands for special and that's what is that's what I live and breathe. They need mm-hmm. to be celebrated. They need okay. to be celebrated, not looked down upon. So for me that was always the way I went. And very early on in my career, when I wanted to be an AST, I was mentioning to you before, I yeah. started to get a lot of SEND-heavy groups. All the SEND groups, when they used to group by ability, people would always give them to me, oh, she's really good with them. She knows how to speak to them. And I just, I, th- I knew then, I said, you know what, I'm going to be a SENCO. I did not know for this. Rather than get frustrated and argue with colleagues, I'm just going to go to senko and change the culture in a school myself. Mm-hmm. And that's why I did it. <laughs> that's why I did it. That's why I still do to this day. Because I just I just want to be an advocate for them. Because even now, the amount, honestly, I know, and I know you follow a lot of uh, different Twitter accounts with Send as well, you'll see as much as I do, the horror stories coming through even now mm-hmm. where the LA have, LA have let a child down, you know, a yes. school have let a child down. Some Senkos, heaven forbid, are letting children down and failing them due to a lack of understanding of their basic special needs. It's, it's wrong. It's criminal. It's criminal. Yeah. And that's why I'm so passionate about it, because it's just not fair. They deserve the world and more, like everybody else. Exactly. Exactly. Sorry, that's another rant. Now,
1: <laughs> no, no, it's 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 you know th- these are the few of the things um, which which it's good to be passionate about. I mean, I, anything is good to be passionate about, but this, especially these, you know, uh, teaching of of SEN uh, children, teaching RSE, etc. These these mm. are the things we really, um, if you have to do it well,
3: you have to be passionate about it. You honestly, and Noreen, it's so hard sometimes fighting for children. I've had to, I'm quite, as I said before, I'm a very confident person. So I'm not afraid to fight for a child, not physically mm-hmm. fight for a child, obviously. But I will go to the absolute ends of the earth to get my kids what they need. That, that's as simple as it is. Because there's nothing the glamorous about our jobs in education. Let's be blunt. Yeah. We don't yeah. do it for the glitz. <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. we can do celebrities. But, oh, I, yeah, I, I saw Miss Sadan as the, ooh, I'm a celebrity. We yes. do it because we genuinely give a damn. Yes. You know, we willingly go into the weekend pra- planning to spend part of that weekend working unpaid because we're yeah. that committed because yeah. we genuinely have a vested interest in tomorrow's leaders, to- tomorrow's, you know, future, if you will. Yes. Um, and if you haven't got the commitment, passion, you won't survive. I always say to people, like, oh, you know, what's it like being a Senko? How can I become a Senko? I said, listen, if your heart's not in it, you're going to fail. Yeah. Because being a Senko is, is death by paperwork. Yes. Yeah? It's death yeah. by fighting LA's. It's sometimes yeah. death by fighting some parents because they don't understand their children either. It's mm. it's it's hard. But yeah. it's ever so rewarding. Honest to God, it's ever so rewarding.
1: Yeah. And and you know, the paperwork, you can't not do it because that it it does need
3: to be done. It's such a trick. It's such a trick. It's illegal. Yes. Yeah. Even now I still have to tell some teachers sometimes, do you realize how powerful a document an EHCP actually is. Yes. You're yes. breaking the law if you don't follow Section F of an EHCP. And they're like, oh, you're over, you're just, i am I exaggerating? It's the law, it's, it's the Section truth, F, yeah. it's their legal right, they've got money attached to them, you have yeah. to account for that, every penny. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, wow, and then they start to understand exactly how precious send learners are. Jo- Joseph just
1: texted, he says he's autistic and he owes a lot to yes. good
3: <laughs> LAs, to good centers who he's had over the years. Oh, I'm so pleased. I really am so pleased, Joseph. And that's why you're a producer today because of them supporting you. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's true. Because every child has has um,
1: has an ability to do something or the other, and and centers um, tune, tune into that and they help the child discover what the ability
3: is, and no matter what Absolutely. it is, yeah. That's so to interrupt thing. I do apologise, but it's like that um, Einstein quote, isn't it? I think it's, it's Einstein says, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to spend its entire life thinking it's stupid or something to so that effect. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of thing, isn't it? You can't have the, this is why sometimes standardised tests do my head in because it's not fair. It's just you have to appreciate everyone's got a different skill set. So it's, kind of it, 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 it's just, yeah.
1: So Seamus just joined us. Um, hello, Hi, you with <laughs> us. <laughs> Um yes. Oh, thank uh, you, Joseph. It
3: was Einstein. <laughs> it was Einstein. Like,
1: yes. Um the Senko role, how difficult has it been for you during
3: the pandemic? My God, how long do I have? My God. Um I think for me, being a Senko during lockdown was an emotional roller coaster. I hate to use a cliche, I do apologize, but it was an absolute emotional roller coaster. But I'll tell you something. I'm always like any educator, in fairness, Noreen, you know, you, you become a part of the child's life, don't you? It's just the way it is. Teach, teachers are like a continued part of your family. We have local parentis. We literally live and breathe that sometimes even beyond the school day. For me, during lockdown, the vulnerabilities that family shared with me, the support I ended up giving the families and and in a way them working with me, it was just it was it was horrible and stressful at times. But sometimes I used to move to tears with some of the experiences I had because I became a part of these families' lives, you know, because of, you know, doing safe and well checks. Because when I was a Sanko in my previous school, I was also a deputy DSL there too. Mm-hmm. So I was doing safe and well checks. And I know some people might think, oh, my God, your your former head was a nightmare. But actually I was grateful for what they made us do. We were doing daily well-being calls. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was physically visiting, doorstop visits, not going inside the home. I yeah. was visiting the EHCP students okay. regularly during the yeah. week. Yes. And... The bond I formed with some of these families during lockdown, they will stay with me for the rest of my life. They still email me some of those families. I've left that school years ago Mm -hmm. because the bond that I formed, you know, where they had financial hardship, I had an EHCP child who was severely autistic. His mum had mental health because she went through a hideous divorce and she was unemployed. So we were sorting out financial support for her. We were sorting out emotional support for her. She'd be emailing me, you know, pictures of his work when he started to engage with stuff. And it was just so beautiful and uh, I was I was in another chat. I forgot what it was. I was a new to slt or something. They were talking about how, what do you think about 2022? Is it going to be easier or harder? And what I said was, look, it's probably going to be harder, but we're forewarned now because we've been yes. through it this year. Yes, We're more resilient. Now, it's going to be solid. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to be a walk in the park, yeah. but we're going to be just that little bit sharper and wiser because we can expect the worst. So we're prepared for it. You know, it wasn't like raining when no built the ark. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So for me, it was hard during lockdown, but at the same time, it was exceptionally beneficial because... They got to understand our challenges as SENCOs and SEN teachers because I had to give staff who were brilliant, may I add, extra CPD, bespoke CPD. How the heck do you get an autistic or a dyslexic or a child with severe ADHD to engage with you remotely over teams? Yes. The rest of what do I do? What do I do? It was really hard. Even for me, I really had to sit and think. And I've been a SENCO for many, many years now. It's one of the first things I ever developed in my career, Mm skills-wise. But developing, you know, pedagogically staff, how to actually manage that, how do you get through to a child through a screen, how do you get them to engage, how do you support parents who've got special needs and they've got children who've got EHCPs, all of that as well it was exceptionally rewarding, I'll tell you it was rewarding and it really made me it really made me, I'll tell you, in a good way
1: okay. That's, Yeah, I, I mean I, I'm, I take my hat off to everybody especially the Sencos and the DSLs who worked during um, during lockdown, it uh, must have yeah, been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, exactly. No, I, I really do mean that because they, they have, I mean, every everybody has worked hard. The heads have worked hard. Every staff has had, has worked hard. But the the emotional package which comes with these jobs is, is something else. And that must have racked up 10 times more during the pandemic.
3: So- it, I, I won't lie. There were days, there were days when I used to go home and I'm not even embarrassed to say, it's nice to cry on my drive home and it wasn't necessarily because something had happened it was just sheer exhaustion and frustration Mm -hmm. and i'll be honest and say this i don't mind sharing this at all you know just wanting it to stop yes lockdown absolutely really almost broke myself and a number of my colleagues and we only got through it because we got through together as an extended family and again apology cheesy cliche coming up we Mm -hmm. weren't together we yeah. really were team around the child. It was the families, it was us, it was external agents. And I was, I've was i always been with blessed to have phenomenal external agents, you know, PSS, CAT team, you know, the uh, qualified, qualified Teacher of Visual Impairment. All of them, they were beautiful with us throughout the lockdowns. So I was very, very lucky in that respect. But there were days where I'd sit to myself and I'd help a family out, you know, like um, getting a mum a fund so she could afford to buy a family food or helping yeah. a mum find a job during lockdown. Yeah. They seemed like simple things, but... That's the reason why we do the jobs that we do because we, we're privileged. It's stressful being in education, but it's a privilege to be able to actually make a difference. And that's the biggest blessing of this job, really knowing, you know what? Yeah, yeah man, I'm going to pat myself on the back. I actually did something decent today. And it, it, it was, and sometimes i would be crying out of joy, sometimes i would be yeah. crying out of stress. Yeah. But, you know, it was worth it. And I've just seen a question. I think, sorry, you use Teams instead of Zoom. Is that tougher? I won't lie. I th- I think... For us, I preferred Teams because there were more functions for us to use in terms of sharing screen, having the, you know, the class folder, et cetera, and the class notebook. But I can see why Zoom might have been a good option, but I think just because we've been using Microsoft Teams for for ages before then, in fairness, when it came to teaching online. Yes, it is what we were used to, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. And Tom Tom Rogers has joined us as well. So hello Tom. Welcome. Oh, Tom. Hello, hello.
3: <laughs>
1: right. Thank um... you for my
3: mug, by the way, Tom. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um talking about um special education needs um if i were to say to you that children with special education needs will not be able to cope with or follow school's behavior policies and therefore policies and expectations etc they should be relaxed for any child
3: who has sen what would you say to me Excuse my language, but the policies are crap. Right. <laughs> if, if a SEND child is not a co- needs aren't accommodated in the policy, or they're struggling with it, it's not inclusive enough.
0: Hmm.
3: It's as simple okay. as that. So SEND policy, the behaviour policy, should be inclusive and cater for the fact that you can't have one one you know. Rule. Obviously, you have to have standards. You yes. have to accommodate the fact that for certain children, what you may deem is low level disruption is actually just some part of it's a manifestation of their special need, and yeah. it can't be helped. Yes. Restlessness, for example, talking out of turn, shouting out—that sort of yeah. thing. So I just humbly say the policy needs to be amended and made more inclusive.
1: Yeah, that's that's very that's true.
3: In a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, now, I, I'm I was at an
1: education conference some years ago where Dr. Moff uh-huh. was speaking, and he was talking about you know tracking the teacher and all of that. Um, and after the show, I went up to him and I said after his speech, I went up to him and I said, uh, "What about a child who cannot track?" me if I'm in the teacher, what happens then? And you've said they must track me. Um, and he said, no, then they shouldn't. If they can't do it, then you will not you should not expect them to do it. So you make an make an adjustment in your uh, in your policy, in whatever, and you make reasonable adjustment for to cater for that child's special needs.
3: Absolutely. And I'll tell you off the back of that, the one that really makes my blood boil. Mm. I don't care if he's autistic. I want him to look at me when I'm talking to him. Yes. And I'm like, why? <laughs> Tell me, give me one gen- genuine reason why yes. that's so crucial to you talking to this child that they have to actually look at your face mm-hmm. and then I'll support you because what you're doing is actually going completely against what the ten Code of Practice stands for. Where's the re- as you said it beautifully yourself, Marine, where's the reasonable adjustment? Yes. Where exactly. is it? That's a reasonable adjustment, uh, it, you know, changing what you expect them to do when you converse with them. So absolutely. 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 Okay, so um, <laughs> sorry, I just seen Joseph's comment. They're dead to <laughs> me too, Joseph.
1: <laughs> yeah, Joseph is Joseph is spot on, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> yes. Um. So uh, you you just mentioned and uh, just before that, you are the DSL as well. Um. How and how difficult has that role been during the pandemic?
3: Oh my god. <laughs> How long do you have for this question? <laughs> I tell you, I I don't know if this is a blessing or a curse for a DSL, but I really do overthink things. And I'm not a mum; I'm an auntie who loves my niece and nephews to death. Um, mm. But I think of, I always say to families, and I mean this with my hand on my heart, in school, your child is my child. It's as simple as that. Yeah, you, you're giving me your most precious possession at 8.30 in the morning And you're expecting me to give them back to you safe and sound at 3.15. That's the biggest sign of respect and trust you can possibly give anybody, in my humble opinion, right? And I take that very, very seriously. I'm very blessed to have colleagues around me who share that sentiment. So when we had lockdown as a DSL, I had a lot of sleepless nights. I'm not even going to lie to you. Because I'd be thinking, oh, my God, this child has an email on me and they haven't been online today. And their parents are claiming they're sick. But are they actually sick or has something happened? You do worry a lot more. Mm-hmm. But what was beautiful as a result was because i had very i've had, I'm very lucky touch with i've had some very supportive head teachers who, were, who empowered me to you know fulfill my role properly I was able to keep a tab on children I had a very broad pastoral team supporting me and we had a really set system in place where, where certain children got a daily phone call yeah and if you couldn't get out to do a doorstop house visit like from the doorstop, we'd say right come on teams we'll, or you know, come on teams and see, show us your face and talk to us So we were really, it was exhausting. I'm not going to lie to you. It was absolutely exhausting. There's no other way of putting it. It was draining, but it was nothing compared to the peace of mind I got knowing that our kids were all right. So it was tiring. And I know some some people might think, oh, my God, that's a a union matter if they're making you phone children daily and do video calls once a week. But for me, you can't put a price having that peace of mind that knowing that so-and-so is okay in their home and the families are okay in their home. And again, the only battle I had, which I know I speak on behalf of many DSLs, was... I know we're going to talk about it in uh, subsequently. One of the questions is Birmingham Children's Trust and any local authority in, in fairness, in the country. It's just crap. It's, it's the, the systemic failures. My God, Noreen, I could I could go on for days about it. It's just, it's, it's an ongoing battle. And God knows when it's going to get any better. But that categorically was the hardest thing where if we had a safeguarding concern, fighting and fighting against that pushback of, sorry, they don't meet the threshold. Sorry, they don't meet the threshold. Mm. And saying, fine, sod you then, excuse my language. We'll just yeah. help them internally ourselves. Yeah. But again, it was exhausting for us to do that. But, you know, we can't let any child slip through the net. But that was arguably easily actually one of the hardest things. I had easy and I had an easier ride and time with the send local authority side of things. But mm-hmm. I did with the safeguarding definitely.
1: Right. Yeah. It's 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 um it's really hard, isn't it? That um, you know that child needs help. You know there's a safeguarding concern. Exactly. You know that something needs to be done. You know that child is going to be in danger if it's not done. But then when you hear, "Oh no, sorry, the threshold hasn't been met,"
3: and you know it must break your heart. It's it's frustrating because and any it, the the most frustrating part is right, and it's really really a feeling of helplessness. You know when your gut tells you something's not right. But yes. you haven't got sufficient raw evidence to prove it. That's a hit. I wouldn't wish that on an enemy. It's easily one of the worst feelings of the DSL. When you know something's not right, but you can't fully, fully outright prove it, all you get is, well, that's conjecture. I'm sorry. Oh, but that's conjecture. Just do something internally. You know, you can't prove that yet. When you've got some evidence and call us back, but we can't do anything, and all the form bounces back when you give them an early help assessment or, a, you know, request for some family support. It's just, a uh, bugbear for me.
1: But isn't it strange that you know when you go for safeguarding training, the first thing you're told is if you have a concern, you raise it, even if you have no proof. If you even if you have yes in inkling, yes, and you, because you yeah. don't you don't leave it. Um, and you, you might think, well, I I don't have any proof, and what if I'm wrong? And we've always been told. Don't think what if you're wrong, just think what if you're right and raise it and, and something will be done. But then when you do raise it, like DSL, when they raise it, they, they it's, it's a pushback that it hasn't met the threshold. It's such a disconnect between these two things, isn't it?
3: It is. I've just seen Joseph's comment that when children don't meet the threshold, those same children resort to extreme measures to get noticed. He's absolutely right. He does exacerbate the problem. It makes it yeah. worse yeah. because yeah. it's left un, un, unsupported. It's like an, if you know, I, I hate to use a crude comparison here, but if you have an illness and you leave it untreated, what happens? You get worse. Yeah, exactly. You're yes. not preventing it. You're not trying to cure it. Just leaving it to fester, and it's it's nothing but catastrophic. Yeah. So absolutely, it's just and it's an ongoing. Even now, you know, we're out a lockdown. Hopefully, we start a lockdown. Fingers crossed. It's still the same. But I'm still having arguments left, right, and centre with social services or what have you. And they're like, well, no, but you know, sorry, it's it's not that urgent. It's not that urgent. And then we get the headlines, don't we? Unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, that that was my next question.
1: That um, Mm. When I was doing the research for this show, uh, at that time, um, when I wrote down my questions, um, it was about the horrific case of um, Arthur Labingo Hughes only. And now, after I've written down my question, just another day. Exactly. In two days, I, you know, I wrote about about Arthur and and printed my questions out, and I've had to add star in it because uh, mm. suddenly there's there's been another another case. So um, without talking specifically of these cases, uh, but and just using your experience as a DSL, what can schools and other agencies and society in general do to prevent such things happening again? Because these have been just. Just horrific, and I I remember tweeting that you didn't have to be a parent to understand to sort of to to be touched by that to be touched by how you know small they were both really small children weren't they and and yeah. just to you wouldn't do that to a grown up person because well for one thing he'll hit you back but then you you just wouldn't but how could you do that to a child and some something has gone wrong in the society where things like this happen and they go unnoticed well not unnoticed the families had raised concerns but again that term you know the thresholds have hadn't been met so what um, you know what can we do anything to prevent things happening again
3: and i know the problem we have i don't i can't quite, i don't have to figure out how many people are listening right now to this cuz i'm obviously still new to podbean and what have you but the problem is not really the people need to hear what we need to say aren't here that's yeah. the biggest problem. Mm. Anyone who's listening right now agrees with us. Yeah. Is on yeah. the same wavelength, thinking of the same hymn sheet and what have you. That's the first problem. Mm. And what breaks my heart, and you're absolutely right, I'm not a mum, but as an auntie, I was in tears. I had yeah. to, like, look, I, I, I still to this day, and I promise you, I know I can't watch that video. Mm. I've read the transcript of what he says, may he rest in peace. I can't yeah. watch it. The transcript yeah. alone made me cry and lose sleep. I'll yeah. say that first and foremost off the bat. Yeah. The problem we have... It's systemic. It's, hmm. it's, it's history it keeps repeating itself where, you know, you know Victoria Clamby, we've got, you know, Baby P, we've got, you know, Arthur, we've got Star within a matter of weeks, cases mm. coming up in the news, mm. and it's mm. always the same thing. Who did, who can we blame? Who messed up? Who did the biggest cock up? Oh, look, it was them. They were rubbish. Oh, shame, shame on them. Oh, this person used to resign. Oh, that but No, look at the crux of the system. The whole system is flawed every day, right? I've, I've only, I'll give you a prime example. Just, I'm not going to, actually, I won't give one from my current school. In previous schools, it's happened as well, right? And I can guarantee you every DSL, secondary or primary will say this to you at least once in their careers as DSLs. You've got one child who's a child in need. Not even a looked after child, a child in need within the space of six months, they've had five social workers. Why? Mm-hmm. One cracks, leaves. Next one comes in, leaves. Next one comes in, too stressed. Next one comes in, is a good enough, gets sacked. Next one comes in as a trainee has a nervous breakdown, yeah. and what's happening? The records are going wrong. The re- record recording system is absolutely just it just collapses, and then you get a catalogue of issues coming up, and then suddenly one day, God forbid, the child's dead.
0: Yeah.
3: And then people go, "Oh, how tragic! What went wrong? Who missed the signs?" We're well, not being funny. The child had six different social workers in five months, for example. Why is no one looking at that? If you address that issue, other issues won't arise. And I know it's not that straightforward. but I'm trying, to, I hope I'm trying to, I hope I'm making a bit of sense of what I'm saying here. The problem is the whole system. I have got so many cases right now where I'm dealing with trainee social workers who've got supervisors, and the cases they're dealing with aren't pretty. They're not nice, straightforward cases. They're really not, not that any case is nice or straightforward. They're complicated cases, and these social workers, God bless them, are giving it everything they have, but it's not enough because they're not experienced. And as a result, they're not as resilient as they need to be. And I'm not saying I'm this oracle of knowledge, but I know more than they do. And that concerns me during sometimes because they're the ones who see the families. I don't. They go in the houses. I don't. And that's what we need to look at is with Arthur, right? We guess we could look at the fact that, oh, the social worker was manipulated. But why were they manipulated? Was it because they were inexperienced? Was it because they were so stressed out they weren't thinking straight? Were they suffering from fatigue? Were they dealing with another colleague's caseload too because that colleague was off sick or had just resigned? Yeah. We need to look exactly. at those factors as well. There's so much more to it than that, the whole system. And it's always the same way. I look on Twitter sometimes and it breaks my heart. NHS, cutbacks. Send, you know, we send our cutbacks. Bremen of Children's Trust, cutbacks. Why? They're yeah. the sectors that need the most funding and they're the ones that you're robbing. And as a result, I say the blood of Arthur lies in... Keep in government's hands. Sorry, I'm getting political here. It's just, it's, it's. It needs to change from the bottom up. The change. whole thing needs to be overhauled.
1: That, that's it really that's does. Critical. Sorry,
3: I, it's just, I feel no, very
1: wrong no. about it. But it's just frustrating no it is it is and you know it, uh, it's it's children's lives and really uh, actually children's lives. it's that's not a cliche it's it's lives we are dealing with um yes and that's what's it uh, right um we're just going to take another uh, short break we're going to go back to the ads and the latest news
5: uh and we'll be right back so stay tuned are you looking to take your phonics practice forward then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewonderlettersandsounds.org.uk Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support expert teams also provide online resources specialist publications and training for professionals find out more about winston's wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org
1: Hello, welcome back. Um, so that was um, uh, a message from our sponsors and the ads. Um, we have been chatting to Ms. Saeed, um We've tackled some really, you know, um, Difficult issues. We've talked about how difficult it has been for DSLs during pandemic. Um, before that, we were talking about how difficult it has been for Senkos during the pandemic, but um, especially with the DSLs and how um, lessons don't seem to be learned. We we get things happening. We get really sad um, cases happening. We hear about uh, horrific things happening uh, one after the other. Um, I mean in these last couple of weeks we've had two really horrific cases hit the news and um, you know we have case reviews and we say it's all oh, lessons will be learned but they don't seem to me we, we end up in the same place again and again and that um is you know is, it's really it re- it's really difficult for for everybody to deal with but the families etc and public in general but especially for DSLs, because uh, that's they are the ones who are dealing with this day in and day, um, day day in and day out, and and it's not something they can leave at work when they go home. They probably take it back with them. Is is that what you do? Do you can you ever leave your caseload at home uh, at school when you go home, or does that play on your mind when you're at home?
3: Oh, God, no. I've ended up sometimes dealing with cases at home, if I'm honest. I don't know if that's some things that I get frowned upon, but um, I do make myself readily available. I know sometimes it's not a sensible thing to do because obviously all good practice documents about DSLs and how they should work does dictate having a healthy work-life balance, having a road to having time to switch off. But I won't lie, in the last two holiday periods, I have dealt with cases because a students reached out to me and said, I've been beaten up, mm. for example. I'm not going to ignore that. I can't. That's wrong. Yes. And we also have monitoring software, which I'm sure if anyone knows about things like, you know, Smoothwall, which is absolutely brilliant, Mary. That's not a sponsor. That's just true. Um, I get alerts through. I'm going to address them yes. if it's something highly concerning. You, you, And you're right. I'm getting better at it the longer I do it, but it's mm-hmm. still quite hard sometimes to switch off and not think about, I hope she's all right. Yes. I know we've yeah. dealt with it. I know someone's yeah. been thrown off. I know a family support worker assigned the case now, but I hope she's okay, though. And that's why I'm really, really make a massive push with my deputy DSLs with the wider pastoral team. We're always pushing the amazing services of, you know, organizations like Cuth, for example, you know, give us a shout, the texting service, Childline, those sorts of services, just to really push and signpost the students that if I'm not available for you, this is how you can safeguard yourself and get support yourself. That's if you awesome. don't feel you can talk to somebody at home. Mm-hmm.
1: Lovely. Thank you for that. Um, and again, you know, I've said this before about the goals, but I'll say this about DSL as well. I mean, they—they they really uh, all credit to them. They, did, I think, they do one of the most difficult jobs in education. And, uh, um, you know, I—I I can't imagine what life would be if we didn't have people like you doing these really important jobs. Um, so, thank you. It's very kind um, on their behalf. Thank you. <laughs> so. Now, like I said, you don't do believe in doing things by half do You You've, not only are you um, teaching PSHE, uh, not only are you the CENCO, not only are you the DSL, you are also the senior mental health lead. I
3: need to start saying no, Noreen, that's what this means. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, um, what is a senior mental health lead? What does that involve? it is actually i would advise anybody who wants to be one to be a dsl because it actually helps considerably um, the way i chose to kind of in envis- like sort of illustrate the the model when i've launched it with staff because i'm the first i believe i'm the first ever smhl they've had um if i'm not mistaken and i can't take credit for this you know Birmingham education partnership i work with them and they gave this lovely thing called a pyramid of need Mm -hmm. and it kind of visualizes if i can learn how to upload stuff i will promise i'll put it on my twitter at some point because i need someone to teach me how to upload resources somehow (laughs) um it's a pyramid of need and it basically illustrates what mental health provision should look like in the in the respective setting that you're in Mm-hmm. So everybody, it's the same with SEND. It's the same with safeguarding. It's the same with with everything literacy and numeracy, what have you. It's everyone. It's about having that collect, um, collective responsibility for mental health, and the senior mental health lead, akin to the SENDCO for SEND and the DSL for safeguarding, is a strategic lead who oversees the provision. Doesn't necessarily do everything at operational level, but mm-hmm. oversees the provision, maps it out, and makes sure that everybody knows that they what part they're playing in this pyramid of need, and everyone knows how things can escalate between the levels. So, for example, if I may elaborate very succinctly here, the, le- the base of the pyramid is everybody in the school. Yeah. And what they do, so class teachers, you know, canteen staff, cleaners, you name it, anybody in the academy, what their role is to create a culture of resilience, mm-hmm. yeah, building a culture of resilience where we're, we're learning. We're not teaching our students to be dependent on us. It's all about empowering them. To be more, remember I saying to you before about the vision of having respectful, responsible, you know, sensible, you know, uh, valuable members of society. It's, it all goes back to that: how to teach them to be resilient, and also for them to be alert and you know, spot any issues that may be arising. Because everything I do when it comes to safeguarding and mental health is preemptive. It's not like reacting to something when it's gone wrong. It's stopping it getting there in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Hindering yeah. it from actually escalating to something that becomes heaven forbid, um, uh, you know, unmanageable. If, however, it does escalate a little bit more. I've got the next layer of my pyramid, which is form tutors and heads of year, for example. Why? Because they've got more of a bond. If I'm your English teacher, I see you five times a week, four times a week. If I'm your form tutor, I see you every day. So if something's going to go wrong, heaven forbid, I'm more likely to spot it first. So I need to be higher up on this pyramid to give you slightly more support with it, like checking on you daily, let the head of year know, to let staff know, you know, Mercedes having some issues, etc. So if you spot these signs, alert the DSL, because it could be a signal that she's about to have a, a meltdown, for example. Mm-hmm. Then the next level up of this pyramid is where you've got the the levels of training increase. So I'm uh, very full, again I'm very lucky that my head's allowed me to you know invest in this in the staff. I've got people who are CBT trained. I've got people who are drawing and talking therapy trained, which I would highly recommend drawing and talking therapy it's absolutely. And again, this is not sponsored. This is just my humble opinion here. Drawing yeah. and talking therapy trained. Obviously, I've got your you know your standard mental health first aiders, mm-hmm. and they step in and give closer targeted bespoke support to students who need it. So Noreen is okay, just needs her form tutor to check on her once a day in form time. Miss mm-hmm. needs a bit more support. So she gets that form tutor support, but she also gets one of the mental health first aiders giving her a one-to-one session once a week to give her more strategies. Yes. Yeah. So if she suffers from anxiety, what does your anxiety look like? Can you can you feel when it's coming on? Let's work on some strategies to prevent your anxiety escalating. Yeah. So that's like the third level of my pyramid. And then the top level is Okay, we've done all of levels, we've got all the support in place for the child, but we need to get external support now. That could be Forward Thinking Birmingham, for example. It could be open door counseling, for example. And I sort of oversee all of that provision and it's making sure that all staff know everybody has a part to play in this pyramid. Everybody because once they all know they've got a part to play, you've got that investment, haven't you, Noreen? When yeah. you've got the investment, the system's yeah. gonna work. Yeah. It's gonna work because everybody's gonna commit to it. In
1: commit theory. <laughs> Not to it, I'm sure uh, with you leading it I'm sure it works um, oh. <laughs> it has been really fascinating to you um, I haven't even got you know there are some questions left but we are certainly about to run out of time I but know <laughs> it's been really really fascinating here you um, here you talk so passionately about everything and what you have said uh, about your role as uh, about you know, teaching children PSHE, RSE, that really resonated with me. What you said about how, you know, your Senko role and DSL, that was really amazing as well. And I'm sure it will um, resonate with lots of people who who may be listening or who might listen in later. So thank you so much for taking time out of your Wednesday evening to join me uh, and my listeners. Thank you for
3: having me, Noreen. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes.
1: <laughs> um, well, that's almost the end of tonight's show. But um, before I go, I've got some good news for you. If you have some difficult relatives for whom you've yet to buy a Christmas present, then worry not. Toby Cook and Ed Finch will be here at 10 o'clock. Uh, they have some suggestions as uh, for books which you can buy for these difficult relatives, um, as well as uh, they'll also be, you know, they're wonderful chart, they're wonderful people to just listen, you know, just Join in and listen to them chat. It's, it's really, really amazing uh, the, the connection they have, and the chats they they, they uh, you know the, the chats are wonderful, um, and I think there might be some music as well. So, and um, so yeah, tune in at ten o'clock for Toby's and Ed's show, and this is my last show before Christmas. So I'd like to wish all of you a really happy and safe and COVID free Christmas. So thank you, yeah. and, and, and thanks again, Miss. Um, it it's, it's it was lovely to have you on the show, and uh, it's, um, it's really lovely to to chat with you about all of this. And I'm sure we'll we'll continue our chat over Twitter now. Oh, definitely. <laughs> thank you. Right. Thank you so That's, much. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Bye. Bye.